Well, praise the Lord. If you got a Bible, let's go to the book of Exodus, the second book in your Bible, Exodus chapter 14. And the intention is to make this a kind of a short devotional type of thought. I guess 99% of what I do is that, even though there's doctrine always set, it sets upon doctrine. But today I want to look at Exodus chapter 14. Now, if you're new to your Bible, I'll try to give a kind of a brief introduction to this book, but you want, might want to spend some time familiarizing yourself with this book. And we're here in chapter 14 of Exodus. Exodus is when they come out. Exodus is to go out of something. And this is the children of Israel after what the Bible says is 430 years uh, by the Lord's own accounting. And, you know, I, it's a funny thing. I... A lot of people, they, I guess they think they're better counters than God and a better, you know, genealogist than God. I don't. If he says 430, he meant 430. You say, well, I can't see how he came to that number. Wow. Isn't that amazing that you don't have all the insight that God has? But having said that is the book of Exodus follows the book of Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. You say, well, I already know all this. Then, then why don't you just slow down a little bit and review it? Okay. Uh, Simon Peter and Paul both said it was safe for us to review things. I never get tired of reviewing the order of the books in the Bible or contemplating on it. And so in Exodus 14, what's happened is children, the children of Israel have spent all these years down in Egypt. Uh, it, the conditions got worse and worse as far as their oppression goes. They were always you know, blessed when they went down and lived in the land of Goshen. Joseph told them they would come out so much so that he said, when you leave Egypt, don't leave my bones here. That's how Lily thought of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a type of the world. You say, I already know that. Okay, are you living it? See, sometimes some of y'all that you, you just know everything. But one of the things that happens to a child of God who knows everything is the more they know everything, the less they know of a everyday life. Because it's not in your head. It's in your heart. Now, do you need some things in your head for your heart to be guided accurately and faithfully by God? Yes, of course. But it's not about your head. It's about your heart. It's about that going and having an effect on your walk. And so our devotion got to lay a little background for you. So they've come out of, they've crossed the Red Sea, or they're crossing, we'll say, the Red Sea. God has done the Passover. That's a study on itself. You ought to read the first, you know, 13 chapters of, of Exodus here. And what he's done is he's told him, if you'll take a lamb and choose the lamb and make it your lamb, then when you put that blood on the doorpost and lintel, that's two sides and the top, like three crosses on a hill later with the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle. Then he said, when the death angel comes through, and I know people don't call him the death angel, all that. I get it. I get it. When death comes through, when it does, what's going to happen is He's going to spare those who have the blood by faith, okay, on the door. And the reason this is so important is because when he does that, he has made a division between these Egyptians and God's people. And this becomes the great type. He's about to, ha he's going to have them, he's in the process in chapter 14 of having them cross uh, the Red Sea 
And so when he's doing this, he's given us multiple lessons. And I just want to focus on one for a few minutes. In the promise that he would lead them, he said, in the daytime, there'll be a cloud to go before you, follow it. At night, there'll be a pillar of fire to light your way, even though you're going to be out in the deep, dark wilderness. And those are amazing things. Now, when you get through this thing, there's all kind of stuff about cloud in the Bible and clouds. When he's talking about the cloud or a cloud, singular, this thing represented the presence of God, for example, getting them out of Egypt. It represented protection. It represented provision. It represented a promise. That's why over in the New Testament in those gospel accounts, like in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, Luke 9, those areas, you know, they had a cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's why when they received and received up into a cloud in Acts chapter 1. At the end of Exodus, he reminds them in chapter 40, at the end of the book, he reminds them what God had done. And it says he spread this, uh, he, he, he made up the tent, okay, and he spread it all out. And then the Bible says in verse 36, and when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. So not only was it a presence, you know, and a protection, a provision, a promise, it was how he pastored them. Now he used Moses on the ground, but he used that, that thing there. So he was going to lead them with a cloud and lead them with a pillar of fire at night. When they get across the Red Sea, they're crossing the Red Sea. Pharaoh has finally thrown up his hands to take everything. The Bible says they spoiled them. Uh, they favored them. They, God prospered them. They gave them all kind of stuff to go with. And Moses and them are going. And then Pharaoh comes to his senses in a worldly wise manner. Okay. And Pharaoh gets to thinking, what have we done? Look at chapter 14, verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. They're, I mean, all their manual labor and all their workforce, is they've let them go in the moment of grief of the firstborn. So this night of that Passover... In every house, the firstborn died if they did not have the blood on the doorpost linen of an innocent lamb done the way God said. Okay? Keep that in mind. Remember in John 1, 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, they're grief-stricken, they send them away, and then they come to their earthly, worldly senses, and they go, what have we done? And so they set out to get them back. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And by the way, you know, there's some copies of your King James Bible. I've got a pretty, it's not considered large print, but it's larger. It's, it, it was 
by Cambridge. It was put out called a turquoise Bible. They used the type and style of print. They gave it a gem name, like Cameo, turquoise, etc. And I've had one of these and, and, and gotten copies of them as they wore out. It's really cool because it's called, they also have in this Bible yourself pronouncing. They have, they have pronouncing marks over your words, names, like Piha Hiroth and Baal Zephon. Anyway, verse 10. Just thought I'd throw that in there. It always impresses me that, that God gave us that copy. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. <laughs> I've got written in the margin of this copy. I've got good grief, people. Listen to this. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? I mean, they just, they're, they're experiencing miracle after miracle, judgment after judgment on the Egyptians. It's like this. I said to a pastor friend, some people come along and they were what you might call, say, normal people, kind of squared away, we would say, coming to the church. And I said, praise the Lord. And I said, but don't, don't think that God only wants us to lead and pastor and help people that aren't dysfunctional because most of us, our job, our responsibility is to help people because we came from dysfunctionality to help them. So it's not that we don't expect people to do it, but it sure is a grief. Watch. Because there were no graves in Egypt, has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? We told you so, we told you so, we told you so. Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. No way. Well, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, <coughs> which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now, I didn't get this from the Lord. And here's how we know it, verse 14. And by the way, don't beat up on Moses, some of you people. I'm, I am so amazed. I hear people all the time beating up on the disciples and Moses. I got to tell you, I don't know that there's a Bible character I've read about in God's preserved, inspired word that I feel like I'd fare any better than they did. I'll just be quite frank with you. Even with all the knowledge we have with a completed Bible. So he tells them that. He's waxing eloquent. But in verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speaking of the children of Israel, that they go forward. He told them, stand still. Now, it's okay to say, hey, 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 fear not, stand still. It's okay. And then get a word from God. And he says, Go. I'd rather that be that be that way than Moses saying, go, 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 when they're not supposed to go. And then he says, lift up thy rod, stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And then he says, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. Verse 19 is our text. 
And the angel of God, which went before the camp, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came, verse 20, between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, Israelites, so that one came not near the other all the night. I just want to do a short one here, hopefully, on this idea, okay? Just brief. When the cloud moves. And now, let me say, I'm going to give you the gist of it, and I'll give you a couple other things real quick. The gist of it is this. In order for God to protect them, the angel of the Lord manifested by them seeing a cloud in order for God to protect them, his cloud went from before them to behind them. While they needed to keep looking forward and moving forward with Moses. When the cloud moves. Now, I'm going to say this. Please get the forest, not the trees on these Bible truths. Read your Bible for the forest, not the trees. You fellows who preach, preach the forest. I really believe, and this could get me and, you know, cross with somebody. They might get cross with me. I think that some people deal with trees all the time because they do not know how to actually see the truth that the forest gives. See, you can read your Bible. This is just, this is a, this is just parenthetical. You can read your Bible and get all kind of little trees out of it isolated little thoughts and truths and you teach them and all that and they may not be totally unscriptural but there's a lot of them that don't go together if you get the forest first and then look at the trees there's many different kind of illustrations you could do if it, on the earth on the ground boots on the ground for example some could lead you to a situation <coughs> and in front of you is a tree but there's only two of that tree in the whole forest around you. Let's say 50 acres. So those two trees do not represent that forest. Now, I'm sure you've heard, I hear it frequently, preaching that is about the two trees that are somehow in the middle of this 50 acres of other trees. And those trees don't even match the forest and they are not supposed to be indicative of what that forest represents. So it's okay to talk about God's presence. You know, all, all through Exodus there, there's places where the glory was in his presence in Exodus 16, Exodus 19. Got that? I see it. Okay. But here, it's kind of a simple truth if you get the forest. God's leading them by this cloud. And in fact, later over there in uh, around Exodus, you know, where I pointed out to you that he, what he would do was he would move the cloud in Exodus 40. Moses summoned up and he said, when it was time to go, the cloud would get off the tabernacle and we'd go. And when you're supposed to stay, the cloud is over the tabernacle. That's guidance. That's leading you, pastoring you. But in this case, to protect them and preserve them, and to keep his promise to them and to be his presence to them, the cloud moves behind him. 
but they're supposed to be looking forward and going forward. It's not darkness. They didn't have darkness. God didn't give them darkness. He gave the enemy darkness, but it gave light by night, verse 20, to these. I think it, it, it can be a mistake to think that when you don't see that cloud leading you, that that means you're in darkness. I really believe that's a mistake. I don't believe Christians were intended by the Lord, especially in this church age, to talk so much about and spend so much time talking about darkness. Now wait, just hear me out. You can go to many of the verses Paul wrote, and I'm not going to belabor you with them, but you look them up and go to them yourself. You've claimed many of them about heaviness and sorrow and some of the things that we go through when it comes to trials, temptations, where we have to decide, you know, what is going to be my, my focus, you might say, and my aim. I get that. There's a lot of that. I mean, you think about the situation that, situations that Paul found himself in. I mean, he found himself in some perilous situations. <coughs> but at, at the same time, if you hear me, hear me out, he was victorious in it. And that was the thing he wanted us to get was the victory side of it. When he said we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. See, he's telling us, hey, you're not in darkness. You say, well, what about the darkness where you don't know what's next? Okay, fine. They didn't know what was next. They had the enemy behind them coming after them. And in, in military-wise, they were superior at the time. They had the chariots, they had everything. And, and you know the phrase, some of you are new to your Bible, somebody talking about the wheels coming off, then you need to read what happened to them in the middle of the sea. The wheels came off. And when we think about what a sight that was, when we think about what God did to overthrow them, then we realize that there was a need for the cloud to move. But it didn't put them in darkness. Get the forest here, not the trees. You know, I'm amazed at how many fellows think that they've got to take their little personal relationship or experience rather and superimpose it on everybody. I'm going to use a little illustration out of life. It's a sport called golf. Perhaps as responsible for more cursing than any other individual given activity on the face of the earth, other than maybe carpentry and, and, and construction where you smack the wrong nail all the time, the thumbnail or the fingernail. And the reason I want to use that for illustration is this, is I heard a guy who made a great living as a pro golfer, and then he and a fellow teamed up and they started teaching golf, opened up schools. And he said, the number one problem with trying to teach somebody golf or help somebody who is already a golfer is that there's a conflict between what they feel like they're doing and what they're actually physically doing with their body in the club. And I would say to you, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, 
whatever it is, please keep in mind that your experience and what you feel like you're experiencing is not necessarily how someone else is going to see it when they're in the middle of it. So keep preaching the forest and not your little tree of experience. I believe it's one of the greatest dangers of our day. So here, in order for God to protect them, his cloud went from before them to behind them while they needed to keep looking forward and moving forward with Moses by faith. By faith. And this is the key to this thing. Now, I'm not going to go into all the ways in which I can promise you I understand about tragedies and heartache and trials and troubles and things that could bring darkness. But I got to tell you this. They didn't bring darkness. Oh, they brought heaviness, like I read you out of 2 Corinthians there that Paul talked about. They brought that. They brought burdens and, you know, all that is in distress. It does. But at the same time, it also brought all the but this and but that that Paul talked about. And that's my point. You see, you can be troubled on every side, but not distra- you're not in darkness. Now, if you want darkness, try to understand what God's doing and go ahead and turn and face the enemy behind you that God's doing a work on and go ahead and spend your time doing that or even cross over into their side and they're living in darkness. You're not in darkness. I believe with all my heart if we would realize that it is not God's intended experience for you to have darkness of any kind. Read 1 John. God is light in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another. No. He didn't intend you to have darkness. Burdens, yeah. Sorrow, yep. Troubled, yep. I mean, we're to fill up behind the afflictions which are behind of the afflictions of Christ. Fill up their cup. We are. But when the cloud moves, it's for a purpose. So when your situation changes or your reality changes, this is why you need the book. This is why you keep looking forward to what God's doing. Not as in you deciding what it's going to be like. They had no idea what the wilderness is going to be like, etc. But remember that in verse 20, it's, it says there, there was darkness to the enemy and there's light to his people. When, when the cloud moves, as I read this, I was just reading it, you know, Bible reading you devotionally. And I thought, how cool. The angel of God which went before the camp of Israel were removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these so that the one came not near the other all night. You've got to keep facing forward to what God's doing for you. But if you start getting darkness, you're probably facing the wrong direction. Colossians 3, 1, set your affection on things which are above. I do know what it's like to have family members that you really cared about, love, pass away early in life, teenager. Then my mama at 54, I understand all those things. 
and they are hard and they hurt, but they didn't bring darkness. I got to tell you this. Amidst all that, every single time one of those kind of things happens, it brought the reality of heaven to me more and more. And it, it kind of like Walter Wilson said, they asked him, they said, you know, how did your only son, how did the effect? He, his son died young. He said, when I put him in the ground, the world and I parted forever. Because he had something on the other side. God is not surprised. Heard of a young family, young, you know, 40s, whatever. And the dad died, you know, unexpectedly, quickly. That's a hard thing. Mama, kids left behind. It's tough. Don't let it be dark. If that happens to you or a friend of yours, don't go and help them say, oh, it's so dark. It's so tragic. It's, it's, it's a tragedy in the sense of an unexpected activity. But God's not surprised. God cares about that widowed mother. God cares about those children. God cares more than you do. Please, please get this. When the cloud moves, keep your faith and your mind and your heart pointed towards God. You're not in darkness when that happens. You think that when it talks about the cloud and the glory of God on the tabernacle, you really think that that was a bad thing? No. Remember, forest, not the trees. You know, I, <clears throat> I promise you this. Thank God this happened to me. I wasn't reared a Christian. I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't know that. But thank God I got around some of those old-time Christians. Just by God's providence, I admit that. I declare that. But thank God I got from them a true sense of heaven. Heaven is real. Nothing down here is real. Thank God for the good things. Thank God if you got good food to eat, praise the Lord. Nothing like a really good meal. Amen. And a, or a good night's sleep and a good exercise and a Whatever you do, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But may I say this to you? When the cloud moves, God's doing something for you. Okay? It did not throw them into darkness. So if something throws you into darkness, you might be facing the wrong direction. I thought many, many times, why is it Job was such an inspiration? It's because even though he suffered and he said things that, that suffering people do, if you ever seen anybody in really physical pain, mental, emotional pain, the thing that God said, you spoke right about me, Job. You trusted me. God doesn't put us into the darkness. Now watch. Someone says. Before I, while I close. But what about when Saul of Tarsus got saved? Yeah. Do you hear him after those three days. When he got his sight restored. Do you hear him talking about. Living his light in darkness. No he told you don't live in darkness. He told you we're not the children of darkness. He told you that about light. Why? Because that's where we live. When the cloud moves. Let it. But keep your heart, your mind, your feet pointed towards God's direction.
He took that cloud. I think it's so cool. Put it behind him. It shone light on their side and darkness on the other side. It fogged up those Egyptians. Now we know what else he did. He drowned them in that in that sea. He took their wheels off in the middle of it and drowned them. In verse 25, it said, took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And he did. When the cloud moves, just let it move. Don't be turning over your shoulder. If you do that and you're, and you're marching forward, you're going to run into something, walk into something. You ever turned over your shoulder, look at something and boom, walk into the wall or walk into a header of a door you guys who build houses or walk into a tree don't do it just keep right on going but when he moves it it doesn't bring darkness so if something darkness happens find out what you got your sight on where your eyes are pointed and double check your faith double check the reality of heaven double check the reality of the word of god double check the reality of what paul said the christian life would be like on earth until we get to the other side. We must, Paul said, through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. He did not say we must go through tribulation to earn our way into the kingdom of God. He said that's the path. <laughs> the path from here to heaven is much tribulation as a child of God and it's going to get much right up until the day he calls us out. Father, pray, take this simple thought. Help someone with it, I pray thee in Jesus' name, amen.